Hi, welcome back and thanks for joining us here today. I'm Jamie and I am a Blues Disciple. Blues Disciples is a 501c3 nonprofit organization and please note that earphones or earbuds will enhance your listening pleasure. Folks, as you're listening to this podcast, please click on the playlist to expand its size for easier reading. This week, we'll continue a discussion from a recent interview we had with our friend and ethnomusicologist, Dr. David Evans, who has spent the majority of his life researching, finding, befriending, working with, writing about, and recording many 20th century blues artists and legends. Earlier this year, Dr. Evans was honored by his induction into the Blues Foundation's Blues Hall of Fame in recognition of his tremendous contributions over his lifetime to the blues. Much of Dr. Evans' efforts dealt with blues artists who played in the country blues style. Over our close to 30 podcasts with Dr. Evans as our co-host, we've been fortunate to highlight Dr. Evans' research and work concerning legends such as Booker White, Blind Willie McTell, Blind Willie Johnson, Charlie Patton, Tommy Johnson, Jesse May Hemphill, Mississippi Fred McDowell, and many others. One of Dr. Evans' greatest finds was a gentleman who helped define and validate the blues subgenre and traditions known as Bentonia Blues, which evolved from a small group of artists around Bentonia, Mississippi. That gentleman is Mr. Jack Owens, who was born in Bentonia, Mississippi in 1904 and passed away in 1997 at the age of 92. Here again is Dr. David Evans to tell us more about Mr. Jack Owens and Bentonia Blues. Jack was a guy that led a real country life uh, sort of on the fringes of the law, you might say. He worked for farmers, worked for people that supposedly had given him a lifetime house. He would herd cattle for them, dig ditches and drainage ditches and just do other farm labor. But then the owners of the property died. His his white patron, you know, died. The uh, tenants were dispersed. Uh, sorry, Jack, you know, we need a tractor driver to live in your house. So he enabled. They moved off. Jack had saved up a little money. He used to keep it buried in bottles on his property. You know, he also had a moonshining business. He ran a still and uh, sold bootleg alcohol and, of course, ran his juke house and got income from all of that. And anyway, he bought some property, about an acre of land not too far away, and moved a house onto it, had a little shack, moved onto it. And then he added parts of other houses onto it. So he had this rambling, wow. something like a seven-room structure place. Well, so it wound up yeah, being pretty uh, good uh, size. A mansion. Good size. <laughs> so yeah, speak, yeah. But, but sure. made out of parts of shacks, you know. <laughs> wow. and, uh, one of the rooms was converted into a juke house. I never encountered the juke house scene there. I always went during the daytime and recorded him there. I remember one time it was thunder and lightning and the electricity went out and there was Jack singing, you know, it, it must have been the devil. <laughs> <laughs> lightning was flashing and the thunder roaring. It, it was very eerie. And here is It Must Have Been the Devil. Close, baby. 
Cause you can't go nowhere But oh, ain't got no clothes, baby, but I Cause you can't go nowhere Oh, I don't want a 
Well, of course, this is the piece that launched Skip James to fame. I don't know about fortune, but uh, certainly fame. And this is probably the best known piece around Bentonia. And uh, other artists have done versions of it based on Skip James' version, whether recorded or learned from him in person. Joe McCoy did a version of it. Johnny Temple did a version of it. And then, of course, as a result of the reissue of Skip's recording, many people have done versions of it based on that. But Jack Owens learned the piece traditionally. Uh, it may have been performed, well, evidently was uh, performed by Henry Stuckey that Skip learned from, and no doubt other Bentonia artists. Of course, Cornelius Bright recorded a version of it. Uh, Jimmy Holmes does the piece uh, today. So they all knew it and performed uh, versions of it. Jack did it in two different ways. The slow way and uh, then a fast way for dancing. I recorded it from him both ways. Of course, Jack would add different verses to it, like the devil got religion and joined the Baptist church. That's a pretty amazing image. <laughs> oh, yeah. Jack had a very peculiar attitude towards the church. He kind of respected religion and all that, but he was not a churchgoer. He said he had played for a number of church benefit events and concerts locally in the old days, and then church leaders criticized him for playing and singing the blues. And he got kind of put out by that. And just, I think he sort of resented that because he, he felt that he had respected the church and not been respected back for it. And he never performed a church song, uh, as far as I know. I, I don't believe I ever recorded him doing a church song. Skip James certainly did. <laughs> 
But I think that was sort of a deliberate thing on Jack's part. But uh, he had a kind of reserved attitude towards the church. I then asked David what his first thoughts were back in 1966 when Cornelius Bright took him to meet Jack Owens one evening and after Jack washed his bloodied hands from cleaning fish and sat down with his guitar and started playing. Well, I thought he was good. I didn't think he was quite as great as Skip James on his early recordings, on Skip's, you know, 1931 recordings. Of course, those are hard to top. (laughs) They are among the uh, very, very top of country blues early recordings, right right up there with Charlie Patton, Sunhouse, and uh, Blind Willie McTell, you know, all the greats that you can name, uh, Blind Blake and Blind Lennon. Uh, and of course, you know, Skip was young then. I mean, Jack yeah. and Skip were more or less contemporaries, and yeah. they were in their 60s at the time, or around 60. So, you know, Jack was still very active. I mean, he'd been playing all the time, and he was great. And I thought he was in some ways better, or at least a stronger performer at the time in 1966 than Skip was. Of course, Skip was sick. He had cancer, and he was still a very competent performer. He didn't make mistakes or anything like that, but he sounded somewhat weak, which he was to me. Jack sounded strong, and he was still doing farm work, you know, at at the time. He he was a tough guy. He sounded like a country version of Skip James. What a lot of people don't realize is that Skip James, although he grew up in Bentonia, he had lived part of his life in cities, in Dallas for a time, in Birmingham, in Jackson. He had gone to Jackson and gotten with Johnny Temple and other artists there and had polished his pieces. He also had some education. I mean, he was literate. He had done some preaching. He was not by any means a country bumpkin. Jack Owens, I wouldn't call him a bumpkin, but he was real country. You know, he was illiterate. Uh, He could write his name out, but that was about it. He had never been anywhere. He'd been to Clarksdale was as far as he'd gotten. I don't know if he'd ever been to Jackson. He had been to Belzoni. He'd played with Sonny Boy Williamson there. (laughs) That was a big thrill. And he had been to Clarksdale and I think played there. He didn't seem to have interacted with anybody. Later on, he went to Chicago. His father had, uh, kind of like Bud Spires, his father had pretty much deserted the family and gone to Chicago, but he had died and left some property there that apparently Jack was heir to, but some lawyer beat him out of it, and, and he didn't particularly like Chicago. David then shared more about his 1970 field recordings with Mr. Jack Owens and Mr. Bud Spires. How about I Love My Baby? I Love My Baby is in Spanish tuning, open G tuning. Uh, Skip James used this tuning also for his special rider blues and maybe one or two other pieces. Uh, Jack rarely used Spanish tuning, but he did play this piece. And in fact, I, I guess I elicited it from him. I asked him about Spanish tuning. And Jack had four or five different tunings that he used, and I'm not sure I explored all of them. He could play in Spanish tuning in the key of C. He uh, played in this D minor tuning. He played in Sebastopol or D major tuning. He played in some other variations of standard tuning with one string tuned up or down, sort of half open tuning. It, It was amazing. I really tried to explore his repertoire and style, and only part of it is represented on the recordings that I've issued.
How about Catfish Blues? Catfish Blues is a traditional blues in Mississippi. Uh, Robert Petway recorded the first version of it in 1941. Uh, Tommy McLennan recorded a version the following year as Deep Blue Sea Blues, and then Muddy Waters, John Lee Hooker made post-war recordings of it, and lots of other people have recorded versions of it. Tommy Johnson apparently performed a version of it, but didn't record it. But it's a real Mississippi traditional country blues piece. And uh, Skip James also recorded a version of it. I, I think in standard tuning, it's normally played in the key of E in standard tuning. Uh, Jack played in a version of standard tuning, uh, tuning the fourth string up to E. So it was a semi-open tuning, you might say, <laughs> kind of a variant of standard tuning. And uh, this is a very long performance of it, uh, and it's it's a fast version of it, kind of like uh, Robert Pitway's and Tommy McLennan's original versions of it were fast. Uh, other artists like Muddy Waters have turned it into a slow piece, and a lot of people do it these days as a slow piece. Lord, I went Lord, I said I understand. Oh, come right in, baby. Oh, my dear, my love. Oh, my
for your dough. How about hard times? Hard time. Well, of course, again, another piece that Skip James had recorded and that was reissued early on, leading to his rediscovery, Hard Time Killing Floor Blues. This, again, seems to have been a traditional piece, uh, probably conceived in the Depression right around the time Skip James recorded it. Possibly Skip did compose the piece. His recorded version is much more on the theme of hard times. It's pretty lyrically coherent about that theme. Jack does sing that theme, and I think his life always was hard in many ways, but he would add other verses, not necessarily on the hard time theme. Very few of Jack's songs had any kind of thematic cohesiveness. They they might have had a uh, structure, but it was a structure made out of contrasts, sort of like representing a state of mind, you might say, where, you know, everybody's state of mind often contains contrasts. <laughs> you see things from two sides or from different sides. Think about things, and you express sometimes things from different sides, as blues singers often did. And Jack was certainly one to express things that way. On the other hand, of course, many blues singers would explore a particular theme with some cohesiveness throughout the song.
Ain't no loving, ain't no getting along. Okay, this is a collection of traditional verses, and Jack plays in a variation of the standard tuning key of A, but he tunes the big string, the sixth string, from E, which fits in the key of A, down to D, a full step down, which he uses as the ground note for the subdominant or four chord in the key of A. 
don't know of any other blues guitarist who did that, at least for the key of A. Tommy Johnson and others have used it. It would be called drop D tuning, but they play in the key of D, like Big Road Blues, Can't Heat Blues, and songs like that. And uh, others have played in drop D tuning, but always in the key of D. So <laughs> Jack, as far as I know, never played in the key of D in that tuning. So it's another one of the either unique or highly unusual personalized aspects of Jack Owen's guitar playing. He had a whole style, you know. I mean, it shared elements with other players, but Jack really created a personal style, very traditional, but also very personal on guitar. He, he just, you know, others could have probably carried it further the way Jack did, but I don't know of any other player who ever did. Skip James was an incredibly complex and refined player, but he, I think, pretty much used three tunings, a standard tuning, a Spanish, which he rarely used, and, of course, the open D tuning, which he used a lot. But, of course, Skip played piano, <laughs> which I don't think Jack did. I think Jack told me that he did play a little piano, but I could never get him to a piano. If he did, it's a shame and a, a tragedy and maybe an oversight on my part. I never got him to a piano.
Here, David tells us more about Jack Owens' later career and recordings. He finally got a handy award for which he uh, kept in its original mailing box as a sort of shrine in his bedroom. Uh, it was pretty amazing. And he had some posters up on the wall. By that time, by the oh, late 80s and early 90s, he had begun doing some festival gigs in Mississippi in Greenville, the Delta Blues Festival, and up in Clarksdale at some of the events that uh, Jim O'Neill organized there. But he would always get back for supper time. But he did start getting a little recognition. People would come, busloads of tourists or just individual blues fans would seek him out, come to his place and leave donations and so on. But although sometimes there were some bad results of that, I know one time I, well, I, I put out an album on the Testament label in 1971 of Jack Owens, and it showed him on the cover holding his national guitar, which he had had since the 1930s. He'd put a pickup on it. Uh, he'd cut away some of the resonator and inserted yeah. a pickup under the strings. But some guy from Virginia visited him, I think it was in the 70s or maybe early 80s, who had gotten a hold of that album and came to him in the wintertime when he, Jack was hard up for money and gave him, I think, $60 for the national guitar guitar, plus a lousy, cheap Taiwan-made wooden guitar. Disgusting, you know. Oh, Lord. I mean, God. It, it was yeah. at the time when, when nationals were starting to be in demand. Right. Wow. Yeah. Because that, that's what you first recorded. That's what he had when you Well, well I did. I, I, I often recorded him on my Martin. Well, first I had a guild, and then yeah. I Seventy, I think I, I brought my uh, a Martin that I had just acquired okay. and recorded him on that. He preferred it. Again, I, I'm not sure, but I did record him on the National in 1969. Although I don't think I've issued any of those recordings. But okay. I recorded him in 66, 67, 69, 70, 71, 73, and then some later times in the 80s. Golly, so you've got a a big library of uh, yeah, that. I have made a lot of recordings of Jack. And then others began to record him. Johnny Marcucci put out a little by him uh, that he made in uh, 78 or 79. And uh, other people visited him and recorded him. And then... I won't be bad no more. Okay, well, this is a solo piece by Jack in open D tuning, uh, not D minor, but D. And he plays it with a knife, a knife style. It's somewhat similar to train time, but being in knife style and in that tuning. But it's a distinct song, again, probably partly improvised in its lyrics. But this one clearly goes way back. The knife style was documented in the first decade of the 20th century in connection with blues in Mississippi and elsewhere in the South. Howard Odom described it, and W.C. Handy recalled it. And so clearly it was something that came along with the blues itself. Jack preserved it uh, almost to the end of the century in his repertoire and style.
Later, of course, after Mabel died, Jack did travel. I think Jim O'Neill got him on a few tours to the West Coast. He'd fly on airplanes, and I brought him to Europe twice, to be in Switzerland on one tour, a couple of festivals, and then to a festival in the Netherlands very late in his life. So he did see a little bit of the big time. Yeah, that's neat. Yeah, but but he, he Jack was, was real country. You know, he lived pretty much uh, all of his life under the, the Jim Crow regime, and uh, Bentonia was a Jim Crow town, no doubt about it. He was known around town. Uh, there was a liquor store after 1966, or in 1966, they made alcohol legal in Mississippi, but you had to buy it at state-licensed stores. There was one that uh, opened in Bentonia on the highway, 49, and I went there and bought, uh, Jack liked what he called uh, 
hognose gin. It was the gin, I forget what brand, but it had a hognose on the label. Uh, I went there to buy a half pint or a pint. I'd always bring some out to Jack and uh-huh. Bud, especially like to drink, uh, to brave him up, as he say. <laughs> and I mentioned to the proprietor of the liquor store that I was going out to see Jack Owens because everybody knew him there. Yeah. He, he said, oh, you mean Jackass Owens? <laughs> <laughs> what he called him. Jack was a known character, you could say, Antonia, but he had, I think, a certain amount of respect from the white folks. He, he was his own man. And David tells us about Jack Owen's train time. Train time is played in the slide style. Jack used a knife in the back of a Jack knife that he and pretty much every country guy <laughs> carried in their pocket. And he would hold it between a couple of his fingers and slide it along the first string, the little E string of the guitar, tuning, in his case, in open D or open E tuning, uh, what some people call Sebastopol. I think Jack called it a faster feel, which was his interpretation of Sebastopol, which none of the blues artists had any idea what it meant. Of course, the name comes from the city of Sebastopol in Crimea and an instrumental guitar composition of the 19th century called the Siege of Sebastopol, referring to the Crimean War of the 1860s and commemorating that. So anyway, Jack played it in faster feel. And the train time, it's a train blues. It kind of gets the rhythm of a train speeding up, running along the tracks. And it's a it's a great piece. Uh, you know, this is real, original, old-time country blues. It's, a, I think, a fabulous performance on Jack's part. as we wind down our focus on the incredible music of Mr. Jack Owens and Dr. David Evans' great information and comments, we want to again thank David for his time and the information he shares with us. But before we go, I want to share with you one of Dr. David Evans' favorite songs by Mr. Jack Owens, and it is clearly my favorite Jack Owens recording that I've ever heard. 
But please take a moment and imagine, if you will, how incredible it must have been to sit in Jack Owen's front room juke joint in his home way back in the Mississippi woods in 1970, drinking Jack's own moonshine, eating his wife Mabel's sandwiches handed to you by Mabel through the hole in the wall from the kitchen, and listening to Jack play and sing his Jack Ain't Had No Water. Wow! And thank you for listening. Jack ain't had no water, so ain't had no. Jack ain't had no water, so ain't had no. Ain't no belly, Over here, woman, what's the matter? Well, look at you, woman, but what's the matter? Don't want no 